Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by our special guest speaker. But, but I want to pause though. I don't, you know, I, I like to normally do some a little bit of introduction and a little bit of thank you to start. But I, I feel like this entire service has really been about one thing. And it's been about the centrality and the primacy of Jesus Christ. Everything that has been sung and said on this stage to this point has been about who who he is. And and, and we got to do something today. We got to take communion. And I, you know, as we mentioned in the video, I lived in Jerusalem and Bethlehem, which is basically a Jerusalem area for 24 years of my life. And so I've gotten to know the people that live in that area. And there's some things that come across about communion when you've lived there that maybe you don't know otherwise. And there's a, a remarkable thing that Jesus says when they're having that, that first Lord's Supper. He says, from now on, when you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Here's what you have to know. What you have to know is that room where they were meeting it was a room full of young Jewish men. Okay, that's what Peter, James, John, all those guys, what they were. They were religiously devout Jewish young men. That's how they came to follow Jesus, is they were seeking for their Messiah, right? I mean, why were Andrew and Peter hanging out with John the Baptist when they met each other? Why, why? Because they were Jewish young men dedicated to the word of God who believed the promises and they believed the Messiah was coming. And they were seeking for that. And, they're like, and they believed that that's who Jesus was. And so, they, and so they clung to him and they followed him you know, for those three and a half years. And it was hard, it was difficult, and things happened that were traumatic through those years. And you read out throughout the Gospels, you know, there's, time, there's, there's one point when Jesus looks at them and says, are you gonna leave me too? And Peter says, where will we go? Where will we go? You have the words of life. He, he, you know, they're, they're, it's hard for them, but, but he's like, we don't have an alternative. We're going to stick with you. And they stuck with him through all that because they believed in who he was. And they find themselves in that room. And what they're doing in that room is they're having a Passover meal. Okay? They're having the Passover meal. They're, they're doing what the, the Jewish law tells them to do. When Moses, you know, 1,400 years prior had gone and told him to kill the lamb and to paint the blood over the door and to eat to prepare the meat a certain way and to eat certain parts of it and and he had gone with him through a procedure that to this day every religious jewish family in the world does every single year okay he was tell he was outlining a thing that they were to do and they did that to remember what god had done for them in liberating them from slavery in Egypt through his servant Moses, okay? And so Jesus steps into that space and he says, from now on, when you do this, remember me. What he's saying is Moses, the Old Testament prophets, all of those things, they're good, they're great, but I'm moving them aside and I'm taking first place. That's what he's saying there. And what you have to know is that is utterly shocking. If you're a Jewish young man and you've given your whole life to follow that law, for Jesus to say, next year when you do this, don't think about Moses. Don't talk about Moses. Talk about me. That's a radical claim that you can only make 
if you can back it up, which he was going to do the next day and three days after that. Okay. He was going to back that claim up and the, the claim of Jesus Christ that he's making there and that he makes till now is that he demands to be in first place. Okay. You may not know it. You may not have thought about this, but in your life, you have like a, a list, you have a hierarchy of, of things on top of things, on top of things, on top of things. And something is at the top of your list. And I don't, I don't know what it is for you. I hope it's Jesus. If it's anything else, it's going to mess your life up. Okay. Because whatever you put at the top of your list, the things below it, you sacrifice to the top. Okay. If you put your job at the top of your list, you will sacrifice your wife, your kids, your family, your health to the thing at top, to your job. Okay. If, if you, if you have a sin or addiction problem that you just can't handle and you can't get over it and that's the top of your list, then you're going to sacrifice your whole life, your health, everything to do that thing that you want to do. And you'll lose everything for it because that's your top priority. It's your A1. Okay. Even your wife and your kids and your family in that top spot don't work because you've made gods out of them. And when they let you down, you can't handle it. Right. The only thing that can be the top of your list and it makes your life work is Jesus. If Jesus is top of your list, everything just works because you make all your decisions based on what would he have me do? Not based on what do I want or what's the current fad or how is society pushing me or what would be popular. You don't make your decisions based on all these sort of flimsy things. You make your decision based on him and then everything just flows from there. Okay. And that is the demand. And I think that is what just the Holy Spirit has really said throughout the course of, of, of this service. And I hope he continues to say very quickly before I jump into the word, I, I, I would, I would be very remiss if I did not just simply say thank you uh, to Pastor Tom, Pastor Brenda, and, and to your whole community and family here. You guys have been so awesome to us. Okay. Like so awesome to us. It is normal. I'll just, you know, share a little glimpse into our life. It is normal, you know, as a missionary who spends most of their time overseas, but then a few weeks a year is in America, you know, speaking in churches. It's normal for a church to bring you in on a weekend. They kind of put you up in a hotel on Saturday. And that's kind of basically what happens. You guys have put us up for four days, got us tickets to Dollywood, tickets to the NASCAR thing, like all this kind of stuff. Like my kids are like, this place is amazing. So like it is just way, way, way over the top hospitality. And we are so thankful. Like we really, really deeply are. We are so thankful and um, just appreciate it more than we could ever let you know. So thank you so much for all of that. But I want to jump into the word and I want to talk about a story that flows directly right into really everything we've done today. It's about who Jesus is and his primacy and why he matters the most. And it's a story that plays out over the course really of two chapters in Luke 4 and Luke 5. And I just want to quickly hit Luke 4 and I want to camp in Luke 5 for a little bit longer. And what happens in Luke 4 and Luke 5 is that Jesus is kicking off his ministry. He's starting it. Okay. And, and he's at the beginning of Luke 4, which is not what we're covering today. He goes to Nazareth. He speaks there and he's rejected. So they're like, nope, we don't accept this. They almost kill him. He escapes. And it says in Matthew, I think it's chapter three, it says that he then went to live in Capernaum. Okay. There's a little town on the North shore of the sea of Galilee, 
which was Jesus's Capernaum. It was Jesus's home base for the three years he was ministering. Okay, I want you to think about that. You know, because you know, usually we think a lot of times we think that Jesus was just completely just sort of doing itinerant, you know, walking and talking. You know, he would just sort of walk to some village, speak, and just sort of you know lay down in a, under a tree somewhere, and just you know head on a rock and sleep, and you get up the next day and do the same thing. And I'm sure there was some of that that happened. There was some of that, but his home. I mean, if Matthew's not lying to us, he went to live in Capernaum. Home base for those ministry years was a town called Capernaum. Okay. And if you, and if you can prove this to yourself, if, if you need to, you can just take a map, a Bible map, you know, of Israel and put dots on all the stories in the gospels and what you will see during the ministry years. And what you will see is that they all radiate out from that center point of Capernaum. He goes to Jerusalem. He didn't live there. He just went there for holidays and he came back. He went to uptowns as far north as modern day Lebanon and he came back. He went over to Jordan and he came back. But, he, but the center point of ministry is this town. Now I want you to think about this. What would happen, what would happen if Jesus in the flesh, the embodied incarnate son of God moved into your neighborhood? What would you do? How would that change your life? How would it change your life if two or three doors down from your house, Jesus moved in? Now, I, I've, I've had some time to think about this, and, and I've come to a conclusion. The, the first thing I would do immediately when Jesus moved in next door to me is I would cancel my health insurance that day. Because, because why would I have it? Jesus lives next door. If my kids break their legs, we're going to go to Jesus. He's going to fix it, and that's it. That's all we're going to do. Because there's no reason to spend all that money anymore. So we're going to cancel the health insurance first day. The next thing we're going to do is I'm going to make an assumption that as Jesus is teaching and healing, that lots of people are going to flow into town and that those people are going to want lunch. And so I'm going to buy like a food truck or something like that because I'm going to try to make some money off of Jesus being there. We'll sell t-shirts, all the whole thing. And so we're going to set that up. Okay. So like, basically I'm going to get a lot of nice benefits out of Jesus living next door. Okay. Get lots of healing, probably some financial benefit. It'll just be entertaining. I'll get to watch it every day and see what he does. And there are a lot of great things are going to happen. Right? So, so I'm going to, I'm going to be excited. Yay. Jesus next door. Well, what I want you to know is that that was the life these people lived for three years that, okay, he traveled some, but he came back and he was there mostly for all that time. Our Bible only tells us about 50 or 60 days in Jesus's life. Okay. He lived in that town for over a thousand days. And you know, the book, the book of John says, if I had told you everything, it would fill up all the books in the world, I don't have time for that. You know, so John was like, I gave you enough to believe. So here, you know, here's what you've got. But there was so much more, right? And they saw it every day. Luke 4 gives us a window, a snapshot into one of those days. And it goes kind of like this. He goes into the synagogue, which is kind of like Jewish church. Okay, he goes into the synagogue. It was a theater in the round, so he stood in the middle, and the people were all around him, and he was teaching. And he's going back and forth, and he's talking, and he's teaching about, you know, it, it was probably very similar to the Sermon on the Mount, okay, because that's the core of what he taught. So he, you, know, you think he's teaching through stuff like that. And it says that the people began to murmur because they were astonished that he taught with authority. Okay, so the people are astonished. They're like, oh, what is this? You know, so astonished. You know, you got to think how that looks. And, and so they weren't like, wow, this is great. They were like, huh, what? I don't get it. Because Jesus was saying things like he said in the Sermon on the Mount. He was saying things like Moses said, you know, an, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I'm telling you 
to turn the other cheek. You see what I'm saying? Jesus took the authority and would say, well, you know, your scriptures say this, but really to be perfect, you should go beyond and do this. Moses said, if you want to divorce your wife, you have to give her a contract of divorce. But I'm telling you, unless she's been merely unfaithful, you have no right to do that. And so he's extending all these things that Moses said, and they're like, whoa, who is this guy? He can't say that. The book says this. He, you know, if, if I stood up here on this stage and said, well, you know, in Luke, Jesus says, but I'm telling you, you would run me out of here immediately, and you should because I don't have the authority to do that. So Jesus is standing in the middle of all those people and he's speaking with authority and they're kind of put off. They're astonished. And right in that moment, a man who was demon-possessed spoke out. You know, in, in, that, in, that, in that demoniac voice. You know, in, in my life, I've been around demon-possessed people two times and it was very, very deeply disturbing. And so you can imagine all the people in the room just like, <gasps> You know, and Jesus, without even pausing, says, come out of him. And the demon comes out and the boy sits down and begins to listen normally. And now all the people who were saying, he doesn't have the authority, he doesn't have the authority. Now they're saying like, well, maybe he does. You know, because like, I mean, you saw what happened, right? He commanded a demon, so we don't know. And so, and so they're talking about all this, right? And, and, and human nature never changes, okay? You know, Jews 2,000 years ago and Americans now still have the same human nature. And so they did what we would do. If something like that happened in this, you know, theater today, what would we do? We would all leave here. We would go to a Mexican restaurant and talk about it. It's exactly what we would do, okay? And we'd be like, did you see that? Oh, man, wow. And we would tell our friends and we put it on social media. That's a little different. You know, we would, you know, we'd be on Facebook and Twitter and whatever. And we'd be like, wow, pastor cast out a demon. It was amazing. And, and, and it would, right? It's exactly what happened. It said they went out and they talked about it in all the villages all around. And the people began to pour in, Okay. And it says that night, when he was through speaking in the, in the synagogue, that he went across the street. Peter's house is about as far from the synagogue as that camera back there is from me. It's not that far. It's just kind of like a block over, if you would. And they went over to Peter's house. We actually know that, by the way. They went over there. He went to the Peter's house. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. And then throughout the evening, he taught and he healed and he cast out demons and he ministered all evening long in this town of Capernaum had that day a thousand times. And in Matthew 11, Jesus says, you Capernaum are cursed. How can it be? How can people have been that close to Jesus for three years, seen him heal, seen him talk, heard the teaching, saw all of it. And at the end of his ministry, he looks at the very town where all that happened. And he says, he says, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah would be better off than you. Because if they had seen this, they would have repented. And you saw all of this and you didn't repent. So you're cursed for having been that town. Not blessed. Why? Why is because they never put Jesus in their first spot. They never did. What they did was they wanted all those people in that town wanted Jesus to be in charge of everything other than themselves. Okay? They said, Jesus, I wish you were in charge of the government and would fix these Romans and fix the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the priests. I wish you'd be in charge of that and fix that. And Jesus, I wish you'd be in charge of my wife because she's kind of annoying. And Jesus, my neighbors, I don't like them. Would you be in charge of them? They wanted Jesus in charge of everything. 
but not themselves. They never put him in charge of their own lives. They never did it. And at the end of the day, he looks at me and says, you're cursed. Okay, now if you have grown up in American, Southern, Christian culture, you are just like the people from the city of Capernaum. You've been near him your whole life. And there's a very real question, which is, did you ever put him in first place? Did you ever make him your Lord? Okay? Because if you haven't made him your Lord, you're just as bad off as those people were. You've hung out with him, you've been close to him, you've gotten benefits from being around him, and you never truly accepted him. And it's a danger. It's a danger to anyone who's like me. Okay? But there were some people who were different. And there's a guy, this is where we roll over chapter 5. There's a guy named Peter who was different. There's a guy named Peter who was, man, Peter was just, if, he, if Peter was in America, he would just be a good old southern, I don't know if I can say this but from a church platform, but a redneck kind of guy. in scripture. It's complicated because John tells us something and Matthew tells us something and Luke tells us something and they don't seem to be the same. Okay. This, it's, the stories are different. So, so John tells us that Andrew took Peter to Jesus and all of that was sort of a part of a John the Baptist event. They were all hanging out with John the Baptist and then this introduction takes place. That's what John tells us. Um, Matthew tells us that Jesus was just walking along the lake, you know, the sea of Galilee, one day and said, you should come follow me. And Peter said, okay, and sold all of his stuff and went and followed. That seems to be not a complete story, okay? And then Luke tells us the story we're about to dive into. And, and what I think happened, okay, this is what I believe is, is the case. Anytime your Bible tells you things that seem to be not exactly the same, what you have to know is the way you get to the full truth is you put them together. Okay, you integrate those three stories, then you get a whole story that is the story, right? And so what happened historically is that according to John, he tells us how Jesus and Peter met. Matthew lets us know that as Jesus would walk along that lake in those shores, that he would see Peter and say, you follow me, you come with me. And then Luke in chapter five is going to tell us how all that comes to an end. How, how that story culminates, okay? And, and, we, and we know that's true because clearly Luke 4 comes before Luke 5. And in Luke 4, Jesus goes to Peter's house, but Peter is not a disciple yet. Well, you don't go to somebody's house to hang out all evening if you don't know them, right? So clearly Jesus knows Peter before we roll into Luke 5, okay? So I think that's, that's just so you'll know, that's sort of the, the biblical, you know, how that all played out. Now, Luke 5 says this. It says, so this is, you got to think it's a day or two later, okay? So it's a day or two later, and it says, As the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's words, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret. My translation says, you got to know Gennesaret, Canaret, Sea of Galilee. Sea of, it's just all the Sea of Galilee, okay? He was standing by the Sea of Galilee. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. 
The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon Peter, and asked him to put out a little from the land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. So get the picture. Jesus comes out. It's a morning or two later. Word has been out to all the villages all around about this guy, Jesus, and the miracles that he worked and the miracles he's working. And everyone who's sick or lame or just wants to see or wants to know by the thousands have poured into Capernaum. And Jesus comes out to teach, and he's so overwhelmed with people that are thronging him. He can't even speak. And certainly no one, four or five people back, can hear him because they're right here, and they're pressing in on him. And Jesus is smart, so he retreats to the lake, to the shore, and he gets in a boat. Now, what you have to know about the Sea of Galilee is the shore right there around Capernaum. It drops off. So I would say at least 30 feet from like where the town is down to the shore. And it, it's at a slope. Okay, it's, it's as if God naturally made, you know, a, a theater like this. The, the, this. You know, it just slopes down to the water. And so hundreds, even thousands of people could stand on that bank like in rows. And they could all see a boat. And particularly there's a place where if you're in Capernaum and if the synagogue's behind you, if you look to the right, there's a place where the shore sort of cuts in. It's got a little bit of a scallop to it. And if, you know, and, and we don't know exactly where Jesus was. So just to be clear, but in my head, I always think it was probably right down there. Because if he was right down there, he would have that inlet and people could be around and then sloped up and it would be like an amphitheater in reverse, you know, and he would be able to speak to all these people. And so I think it was there. Okay, we don't, don't know that, but cut me some slack. So, so Jesus is in the boat, he's pushed off from shore and he's speaking. And it's awesome and I wish I could have been there. But there's something you got to know. What you have to know is that people at that time, it was a, it was a verbal culture and they were not ADHD like we are, okay? Our culture has become very, very impatient and short in attention span. We just don't, we don't do long well, you know? So, so, you know, for instance, for me, if I'm making a video like this to talk about our ministry, it's a three-minute cap. If you go beyond three minutes, nobody's going to watch, Okay, just not, you know, you're, you're clicking through YouTube, you know, like, ooh, seven minutes, no way, you know, I'm out. And, and that's just how people are. They're just not going to do it. They're like, I mean, like you have, you have all these hundreds and hundreds of thousands of like little two, three minute, you know, YouTube videos. And those are apparently were way too long. So you had to get TikTok to it out one minute, you know, because that was too much. And then people was like, click, 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 you know, you watch them all. And, and, you know, like when I'm around teenagers, like my kids and their friends, they don't listen to whole songs very often, you know, like songs typically three to five minutes, right? They listen to like... 30 seconds of it. Like, I like this one. Yeah, try this one. And they don't even finish. They don't finish them, you know? They just kind of go like this, right? All the time. That's how our culture is. And it's unfortunate, by the way. But their culture was not like that. And teachers would go a long time, okay? So Jesus probably taught two or three hours that day at least. You know, we know, we know from the book of Acts that one night Paul taught for so long that a guy fell asleep, fell out of a window, and died. Okay, that's how long he taught. Then, 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 well, Paul, Paul, Paul doesn't even pause. He goes outside in the courtyard, raises the kid back to life, and goes back in and teaches for like six more hours. He's just like, that's good, let's go. You know, just keep going. Okay, so they taught a long time. And I don't know exactly how long Jesus taught that day, but it probably wasn't short. 
All the while, Peter, well, I'll read you what it says. Um, it says, God on one of the boats, he was swung to Simon, he asked him to put out a little from the land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, well, I'll, I'll just tell you, it's, I'll just show what's happening. While, while Jesus is teaching, Simon Peter and those guys are drying and mending their nets. Okay? So what, what, that, what that means is, or what, what was going on there, is they were net fishermen. Okay? They, you know, throw the net, pull it back in, throw the net, pull it back in. Okay? It's hard work. And they had fished all night. Okay? It says that a little later in the text. They fished all night and caught nothing, by the way. So they're exhausted, third shift workers. They worked all night long. And now they're in this cleaning process, which is the last thing they have to do before they can go home and go to bed. They didn't make any money last night, so they're all grumpy, you know. And then Jesus commandeers the boat to teach. And they're probably like, and, G, and they're, they're like, well, we got to clean these nets, so let's just get this done while he's teaching. Okay. And what the archaeologists tell us was that net cleaning and mending process every night, or every morning, took about two or three hours. Okay? So for two or three hours, they were working on their nets. Because you, what you have to remember is these are poor people, and they have to get things to produce. You know, they, they didn't have factories. They didn't have Walmart down the road. They were certainly not a Bass Pro Shop. So they weren't able to, you didn't just go replace a net. It was your money maker. It was your life. And you had to maintain it. Otherwise, if it tore, if it rotted, if you let it get frayed, your livelihood was lost. So they were very meticulous in taking care of it. It was a long process. Hang it properly, clean it properly, dry it properly. And so two or three hours. So they finished their net cleaning process. They fished all night. So what the, on the Sea of Galilee till now, the, the fish that live there, generally speaking, the one they're fishing for, they don't like the heat of the day. So in the heat of the day, the fish drop down to the bottom of the lake. It's a deep lake. They drop down to the bottom where it's darker and colder. And then at night, they come up to the surface. That's why they fished at night. Okay? So that's all at play. And at the end of it all, it says this. It says, when he had finished speaking, so it's all done, Simon's thinking, I want to go home and go to bed. I'm so tired. I'm ready to go to bed. And Jesus said, looks at him and says, put out into deep water and let your nets down for a catch. And what you have to know is that in that moment, Simon Peter thought, I don't want to. He thought, I don't want to. I, there's no fish. The fish are up during the night. It's day now. If I put this net in the water, I've got another two or three hour cleaning process on the other side of that. And I don't want to do that again. I'm tired. I didn't make any money last night. Jesus, you may be the Messiah, but I'm an expert fisherman and this is a bad idea. What are we doing? He thought, Lord, I don't want to. It's exactly what he thought. And in thinking that, he's just like every single one of us. Like, have you not, have you not at some point in your life, and if you haven't, you will, have you not had a moment where you knew what the Lord asked you to do and you thought, Lord, please no. I don't want to do that, Lord. Please, Lord, don't ask me to do that. I mean, haven't you had that moment? Even Jesus had it, the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Where he, he goes to the Father and he says, please, Lord, take this cup from me. Even Jesus had an I don't want to moment, Right? So, so if Jesus is not above this, certainly we're not. And there are times in your walk with the Lord when he asks things of you that are hard. They just are. 
He asks you things that are hard. He asks you things that don't seem to make sense. He asks of you things that are, that, are, that, are, that are difficult and awkward, and you're just like, why? And I don't, I don't know what it is for you. I don't, I don't know what, you know, maybe, maybe someone in the room right now is in that moment where you know what God wants and you know you don't want to do it. And I don't know exactly what it would be for you. I don't know if it's, if, you know, maybe he's asked you to step into a, an act of service, you know, and, and, and it's just something you don't want to do. You know, I, I, can, I can imagine being asked to help in children's ministry and just being like, I don't like kids. Now, you know, like I, I, I joke. I mean, I had a school with 700 kids, and I, even me, I would joke and say, like, I like my kids, but not anybody else's. <laughs> you know, I'd be like, my kids listen to me. Everybody else's can do whatever they want, and it's tough. You know, so I can imagine being like, no, uh-uh, I don't want to do that. You know, maybe he's asking you to go somewhere you don't want to go. Maybe he's asking you to leave a place where you're really, really comfortable. You know, you just don't, like, I, I like it here, God. I don't want to go there. Maybe there's a sin that you really enjoy. And he's saying, you've got to stop doing that. You need to stop that. And you're like, but I don't, just one more time. Come on, God. You know, it's just so normal for us, right? Maybe there's somebody that really, really hurt you. And he's saying, you've got to forgive that and let it go. And you're like, but I can't stand that person. But God, they deserve justice. You know, not mercy and grace. They need your justice. Can you deal out some justice, Lord? And, and, and he's like, hey, that's on me, not you. You need to forgive it and let it go. And you're like, I don't want to. Okay, I don't know what it is for you. But, but I know that you're just like Peter. He's asking you something, and you don't want to do it. But I want you to think about this. We are terribly, wonderfully blessed to have the Word of God, and we're wonderfully blessed to have had it our whole life and to be soaked in it and to know it. But there's also something bad that comes with that. There's something good that comes with it, and there's something bad that comes with it. The, the, the good thing is you know the Word of God. The bad thing is you never get to have the initial impact of the Word of God. Okay? So here's what I mean by that. If you, I, I get to teach, you know, part of my life, what I get to do is I get to do Bible studies for Muslims who have become Christians. Okay? They don't know anything. Like, they know nothing. A lot of times they've come to the Lord because of a vision or something like that. They don't really know the Bible. And so when you're sitting there going through the Bible with them, it's all new to them. And they're like, whoa, really? So an example, just, to, just before I left Israel, I was in a Bible study, and we were going over the, the parable of the prodigal son. And it gets to the point, you know, where the prodigal is, you know, he's wallowing with the pigs, and he's blowing all of his money. And, and, he's, and he's thinking, like, what? You know, I'm ready to go back to my daddy. I can just offer myself as a slave to him. And, and I was reading that story, and I paused it, and I said, so guys, what do you think happened when he went home to his father? And these, you know, these like Arab Muslim or former Muslim guys are like, his father beat him. And I'm like, no, um, his father, and they had all these conjectures, you know, oh, he took him as a slave and made him work for the money. No. And, and you think that his father ran out and greeted him and hugged him, and, and they're like, no, really? Yeah. That's what happened. They're like, wow. And, and so we, we don't get that moment where it hits us for like the first time. We don't get to have that. Like, like I was sitting there thinking about earlier, like when we were talking about, you know, someone said from the stage, aren't you glad that Jesus made that sacrifice for you? And I thought, yes. But then I also thought, but I'm so sad that he had to. I'm so sad that he had to. You know, like, like how often does it hit you for the first time? what the Lord did. You know, we miss that moment, I think. But so when we approach this story with Peter, 
what we know is we already know the end, okay? We already know that Peter's going to walk on water. We already know that Peter one day will step out into the city and he'll preach and thousands of people will come to faith. And a few days later, he'll step out and speak again and thousands more will come to faith. And he's, he'll become so spiritually powerful that his shadow will heal people. I mean, imagine that, just your shadow heals people. And, and then he'll, he'll go eventually all the way to the city of Rome where he'll help found the church in Rome. And, and he'll minister there to people that he hated when he was a little kid. And he'll, he'll pastor them, he'll love on them, he'll grow that church. And he'll do such a wonderful job there that when he died, they would mark his grave by building the largest church in the world over it. Okay, 150 yards long, 75 yards wide, it's unbelievable. It's called St. Peter's Basilica over his grave because he became a hero. He became a legend of the faith. But what you have to know is that on this day, he's just a fisherman. He's nothing yet. He's just a fisherman. And he has a choice. And his choice is, do I believe Jesus or do I obey him or not? And if he says no, then he shuts, he just goes off into obscurity. He carries on in his status quo. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I don't like my status quo. I want the Lord to come in and to change things and to change me and to change my family and my business and my ministry. Like, I want him to do something new and bigger and better, both in me and with me and then in the world through me, right? Like, that's what I want. And if, and if I, at any moment when I say no to the Lord, I just shut that off. Because he can't bless the rebellion. He can't. And I shut it off, and I sit there in my status quo. But if I'll say yes, then there's a miracle and a destiny just on the other side of it. Okay? And so Peter stood there at a crossroad that he did not even know. No obscurity. Yes, you won't even believe what's behind this door. You, you couldn't even have the capacity to understand it yet. But it's awesome. And that is where we all stand every day. We don't even know it. And, 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 and so this, term, this whole service started off with people talking about, the, the, you know, singing about Jesus and Jesus, who he is. And what you've got to know is that if you profess with your mouth that he is Lord, Lord means he's your boss. He's your boss. He's not just your boss. He's like you're in charge of everything for you. And, and if that's the relationship, then that has to be the relationship. And you have to step out in obedience to him. And, and, and let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. As someone who has been all over this planet, I've been in the south of Africa and the east of Asia and all over Europe and the Middle East. I've been all over this planet that God made. And let me tell you, there is a difference between people who have Jesus Christ as their Lord and people who have themselves, which is really Satan, as their Lord, and it is night and day. I, if you follow Jesus Christ... This is as close to hell as you will ever get, and it only gets better. If you follow Satan, this is as good as it's ever going to get, and it only gets worse. That's just true. Okay? That is just true. And I have stood there. I mean, just a month ago, I was on a Greek island called Samos, and I sat in a Bible study with Afghan people, some of them who have come to the Lord and some of them who were seeking, but they were all gathered to hear about Jesus. It was unbelievable. And there was two girls to my left whose father had become a believer two or three years prior. And there was a girl across the way from me who, who was not yet a believer. And the light in their eyes was not the same as that girl across the way. It was just not the same. Because our Lord is good. 
and, and what he asks of you is for you, even though you don't know it. What he asks of you is for you, and it's for his kingdom, and it is good. And when you obey him, you unleash things you don't know. So let me, let me just read from the word what happened in Peter's life. So, so Jesus says, put out for a catch. It says, this is what Peter says. He says, Master, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing. So that first sentence out of Peter's mouth is like, no, please. But then he says, and you've got to imagine how he said it. Like, he says, but at your word, I'll let down the net. He's like, I don't want to, but if you insist, okay. And the great thing about our Lord is he will accept even that kind of obedience, okay? Even reluctant obedience. I'm not enthusiastic, but I'll do it. He'll accept it. And so he obeys, and then this happens. It says, when they did this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and to help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full they began to sink. There's his miracle. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me because I am a sinful man, Lord. You get that? In that moment, he realized how sinful he was and who Jesus was. And that's the moment that he has to get you to. At the point you realize, I'm sinful and you're the boss and he can take you places you've never been. Okay, and so he repents, he comes to the Lord in that moment. In that moment, he distinguishes himself from all those thousands of people that would be cursed later. He comes into a special category. Now, you're now I can do something with you. And Jesus looks at him and says, From now on, you'll be fishing for men. Okay, come on with me. And it says, He sold everything he had, just gave it away, walked away, and went and followed Jesus. Okay, and I pray for everyone here that you can get to that moment where you're like, Lord, I'm just going to do what you say. I'm just going to let it all hang out. And whatever happens, it's on you. Let's go. Okay, that's where you've got to get. Now, what does that, I'll segue just a little, little bitty bit into, into what we're doing, just so you guys will know who we are and where we're going. And what does obedience like that look like for us? What it looks like for us is, you know, it's funny because people would say things, when I was living in Bethlehem and Jerusalem, which is really the same place, Bethlehem's like a neighborhood of Jerusalem, basically. When we were living there for those 24 years, people would say, wow, you made such a sacrifice to the Lord. And I always thought, I like it. It's not really a sacrifice. Okay, sure. Um, but, but, I mean, I miss my family. That was really it. Other than that, I was like, I love it here. Are you kidding me? But, um, but people would always say, like, oh, you're making a sacrifice. You're making a sacrifice. I loved the place. I love people there more than I can tell you. I have a list of people there that are like my kids. I raised them. From, I mean, I've got people that we raised them in our school, that we employed them in our school, and now they're in their 20s and they're ours. We have people there that I taught third grade and I did their wedding, you know? Like, like there are people there that I love, like passionately love. And on February 18th, I will never forget the day I know exactly what happened. God said, leave. I did not want to. I love that place. I love those people. My family didn't want to. My kids are bawling their eyes out. We don't want to go. But what I know is there is a moment right now where there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people that are waiting to hear the word of God, and we've got to go where they are. We just have to. So it looks like this. Can we see the second slide? So that's what Greece looks like. It's not a bad place to serve Jesus. Um, flip, the, flip the next slide. Um, that's Athens. Also not a bad place to serve Jesus. What happens is, if you zoom in clo more closely on those hills, then you'll see things like this. In the next picture, please. 
That's a refugee camp. I've met hundreds and hundreds of people and I've seen them walk through those places. Thousands of people living in tents they just stole. They just went in town, stole something, made a tent. And I've, met, I've sat in tents like that with people that have lived there for three years, four years. You know, where are you going? I don't know. What hope do you have? None really. Can't go back. They'll kill me. So I just sit here, steal food from the garbage. You know, thousands and thousands of people. You watch them. You walk through Athens. You, walk, you see people digging food out of the trash. You see, people, you see people shooting drugs on the street. They don't even care. They let you film them. Like I, I stood there with some guys and filmed. He's close to that piano, filming guys shooting heroin when I was there three weeks ago. They didn't even care, okay? So there's this beauty, but then there's this human awful that's going on. Flip the slide. That's more pictures of the same. That's more pictures of the same camp. It's on an island called Samos that I really like. I like I like working there. And then if you flip it, okay, that's also on Samos. This is what the government is doing. The government is building camps like that all over the Greek islands. That that camp's going to house six thousand refugees in like little trailers. They'll put two or three families in each trailer. And it's a prison. I don't know how to describe it. Um, so that's, that's what's happening. You don't build that if you think the problem's about to be over. You build that because the problem's about to get worse. I mean, a million people are probably fleeing Afghanistan right now while we're talking. Okay, on their way, walking across thousands of miles to get to the Turkish coast, to get to those islands. Flip it, please. So those countries right there have all fallen apart. Syria, Iraq, and Afghanistan, totally, totally devastated, all those countries. Um, Afghanistan's been in the news in the last month. You know about it. What you have to know is Turkey, which is above Syria, it's in the white. Turkey is twice as big as Texas. I talked to a little boy back in June. He spoke enough English. I could talk to him. He was from Afghanistan. I didn't know that. I said, where are you from? He said, Afghanistan. I said, oh, how'd you get here? He said, walking, walking across four Texases. Okay. Then what? Once they've walked all the way across those countries, flip to the next one, please. Then they cross Turkey over there to the western coast and go to the next one. Okay, so this is a little bit hard to see, but Turkey is sort of in light gray over there, and the green are all, is all Greece. That's Greek mainland and the Greek islands. The two islands with names, Lesbos and Samos, almost touch Turkey. So Samos is only two and a half miles from the Turkish mainland. Lesbos is only six miles from the Turkish mainland. And what these people do is they'll get rafts. Anything they can get, they'll, they'll get a little raft, they'll get some life jackets, and they'll try to paddle across the Aegean Sea. Many of them drown in, the, in, the, in trying to do it, but they're just trying to get to somewhere where they won't die. Okay, because if they've been a part of the conflict in Syria or Afghanistan and they were on the wrong side, if they go back now, they'll get killed and they've got to escape and they're just flooding. Right now, there's four million people sitting in Turkey waiting to get across in the spring. They're, that's just from Syria, that's just Syrians. And then there's another probably half a million to a million Afghanis that are on their way as we speak. And in the spring, the Greek government will try to hold the tide back and the tide's gonna try to flow and we'll see what happens. Um, so what does the God's word say about it? It says this. This is, okay, so this is why we're called Mars Hill Initiative. This is Paul speaking, Acts 17, in Athens on Mars Hill. And he says, from one man, he, meaning God, has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. So get that, God determined the boundaries of where people live. Okay, it's not an accident, it is God's design. Why? Next verse. He did this, they might seek God and perhaps might reach out and find him. Okay, I want you to get this. We could not minister to those people in Afghanistan and Syria, which couldn't go there, it wasn't safe enough. But we can minister to them in Greece. And he has moved them, so they'll find him. Unless Paul's lying to us, and he's not. 
God moved them so they would find him, and we're going to get involved in what God is doing. That's exactly what we're going to do. Okay, that's all we're all about. And yeah, that's it. So, so that's just so, so kind of so you'll know who we are. Not that we matter, only he matters, but hopefully we can matter to him and bring some people to him. So what I want to do now is I just want to pray. I want to pray over this house and over this community because we love you guys and we've been so blessed by you, you know, in this last weekend. And, and there's a reality to what we do, which is that we cannot do it alone. And the more people who are kind of on our team, then the more little girls, that, that little girl that sat across the table from me haunts me because she hadn't found the Lord yet. And her eyes were dead. They really were. And the more little girls like that, little young men and young women and fathers and women, the more people like that that we can reach. Because the song said it, right? Jesus' name is hope. And, you know, you, there's a list in the song, right? Freedom, all those things that they need. And, and, and without Jesus, it's just destruction. Okay? The more Jesus we can bring, the better it is. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, Thank you so much. Thank you for this place. Thank you for this church. It has been so awesome to us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit being here today. Thank you for Pastor Tom, for Pastor Brenda, for just being so, so wonderfully gracious to us. And, and Lord, I, I just want to pray that you would bless this place. I want to pray that you would bless them and bless their, their service to you, Lord. I, I want to pray that, that this church would become a lighthouse, become a beacon. There's so many thousands of people come here and pass through here, and people move here every year. They need you, but Lord, also people go out from this place. And Lord, I just want to pray that the impact of here, as, as people, Lord, Lord I, I hope that your word would take, take root. God, I pray in accordance with this, this, this sermon today that people in this room right now would get new faith and new courage to follow you. To, to put aside what's been holding them back and to step out into obedience to you and for you and for your kingdom. And God, as you do that, as, as, as people come more and more radically into obedience to you, that you would just unleash them in this community. And this place would just blow up and it would have such an amazing impact for, for your kingdom and that their lives would be changed, things would be different. We thank you so much for it. We thank you more than I can say, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.